Okay, she'll put it closer to me. I'm going to be doing all the talking. <laughs> Welcome to an episode of All the Talking Podcasts. This is a series of interviews that I started making a few years ago, inspired by a conversation I had with Paul Blay in the late 90s. My name is Federico Ugi, I'm a drummer and producer, and a few weeks ago I met my friend Michael Sarian, trumpet player on a stoop in Parslope, Brooklyn. Trumpet player, improviser, how do you define yourself? What's, uh, what's your title, Michael? <laughs> what's my title? Um, yeah, those things, trumpet player, improviser, composer as well, I would say. Yeah. yeah. And tell us, uh, where are you from, Michael? So I was born in, in Toronto, Canada, and um, I, I grew up in Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, from the age of one. Okay, so you were, I didn't know actually, so you were born actually in Toronto. I was born in Toronto, yes, I have all the paperwork to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you moved, when you, were, when you were one year old, you moved to Buenos Aires. See. Si. How long were you in Buenos Aires for? So I was there for a total of like 22, 23 years. Oh, wow, so you're porteño, 100% porteño, porteño I would say. Yeah, except for the paperwork. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I lived downtown Buenos Aires my whole life, and uh, yeah, man, Porteño is uh, is uh, is the way to, to describe it. It's uh, it was a beautiful place to be, growing up for sure. What's uh, what was it like? I mean, like we're talking about what years? We're talking eighty six, uh, eighty six to two thousand three, and then I, I went back again two thousand eight to twenty twelve, okay. and that's when I moved to New York. This cultural difference between Toronto and uh, mm. and Buenos Aires, you used it to your advantage. Was it something good? Or something uh, difficult to grow up with this uh, it was, duality? It was, it was hard at first. Um, uh, it was. I remember being, you know, didn't not feeling really comfortable there as a kid, like you know, young, like whatever. Until I was eight, ten, twelve years old, I remember. Uh, you know, just liking different things. Everyone would like, you know, very much into soccer and all those things. And I would like basketball. Because mm. cause when we moved to Buenos Aires, we kind of, we were in Buenos Aires. We were in downtown, you know, Buenos Aires. We went to uh, an Argentine school. But um, uh, very much so, we grew up in, and lived in a North American household. Like my mom didn't speak Spanish. She was very much Canadian. She did, you know, she learned. She's fluent now. But so we were in Buenos, we were living in Argentina outside, and then we get, we get back home, and it was like, now I'm in Canada or or something North American. I see. So your mom is Canadian, and yeah. what about your dad? My dad's uh, my dad's Armenian from Romania. Okay. Yeah. So he's he he moved to Argentina when he was 15 from Romania, and then then he went to Canada. He was there for 20 years. Met my mom, married, my, my brother and I were born, and then we moved back to Buenos Aires to be with his family. So have you ever embraced your Armenian background? Yeah, very much so. Mm. Um, especially in the last 10 years since living in New York. Um, we, we, like my brother and I, we weren't really that involved in the Armenian community growing up. Mm. Um, but then when I moved to New York, almost immediately within the first year, um, I was I was hired to play at, at a gig like quote unquote Armenian jazz performance at uh, LPR. Um, I'm you know are you familiar with Arto Tuns Boyasian? No. He's a man you would love him. He's an incredible percussionist and musician um, Armenian, and he was one of the like um, 
one of the first big figures of Armenian jazz or of jazz in Armenia. Isn't, isn't Paul Motion an Armenian background? Yes. He, yeah, Paul's from, I think he was born in Philly. But he's, yeah, he's, he's uh, Armenian-American. So I think his last name is originally pronounced Motian. Going back to our conversation, like, you know, like the, 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 the fact that you grew up in... Uh, in between Toronto and Argentina. For the longest time, sometimes you feel like you're trying to figure out how to best communicate. Like, oh, like I'm from Argentina, but I grew up, but I, I'm, I'm from Canada, but I grew up in Argentina. And like, what's my music supposed to sound like based on that? Yeah. Or what, who am I based on that? Yeah. And trying to communicate that musically. But then, man, as soon as I started getting into like, just... <clears throat> music and like free free improvisation and just playing mm. i feel like i've so much i've wasted so much time trying to think what i was supposed to sound like mm. versus just sounding like like what how i sound like yeah because ultimately it's very interesting what you were saying because it's not just what the music we what music we play but who who are we yeah. you know who we are you know i relate to that because you know growing up in italy living in new york Right now we're in Brooklyn on a stoop, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I I feel I feel like more than once I I, I I struggle with that. But as you said, with improvised music, you can just put it all together, and with music in general. But I think improvised music is a good vehicle yeah. for for just letting go and and just focus on the sound and and all your background is is coming out right. Yeah, because you can't really. You can't really try and sound like anyone else. I mean, you can, I guess, but it just that really defeats the purpose, you know? Like if you're if you're if you're trying to be a serious like, you know, bebop player, then there's vocabulary you can st- you can study and then the, there's a process, but like I feel like with more free music, you can't really um you can't really fall back on certain things that you can like v- vocabulary, you know? So I think you're you're forced you're forced you have, you have to face yourself you're on the spot you know be on the spot face yourself like and just be honest musically so it's uh, it can be ugly right it can be i it mean like uh, it can be scary it can be yeah. ugly and uh, have you have you ever found yourself in a situation where you go stuck and uh, musically either on a gig or, or on a period of your life where you couldn't move on and you struggle with this uh with this identity, with this uh, spot that we talk about. Yeah, man, constantly. Um, I mean, there's obviously certain times and periods, but I think that's, as a, as a musician, as someone who, especially who's someone <clears throat> who's, I think, in, in trying to, you know, create and, and work in, in, this <clears throat> in this world that we are in the improvised music, it's, it's so abstract. That I think it's it's easy to forget and lose sight of how, what, who, you know, and why, many times. Yeah, it's hard to. We don't even know how to call this music, right? <clears throat> yeah. Some people call it free jazz. Some people call it avant-garde. Some people call it improvised music. Some people call it experimental music. Doesn't really matter because ultimately it's like it's about, you know, being uh, uh, in the moment, being spontaneous, be uh-huh. honest, and uh, try to you know, uh, face ourselves and f- face the music and dance. Face the music and dance, <laughs> like our friend Frenchie was saying. <coughs> yeah, man. <laughs> we played a gig, 
Uh, actually, we are playing a gig with uh, Telepathic Band. is a band with uh, Daniel Carter, Matthew Patman, um, uh, Patrick Holmes, Hill Green, myself. We were playing a beautiful set, mm. uh, beautiful background and, and place. Uh, Pioneer Works a few years ago. And what year was that? I must have been 18 or 19. 2019 okay. or 2018. 2018 or 2019 so before the pandemic mm-hmm. and uh, and michael showed up and joined us uh it's just beautiful it was like he, yeah. he got in the music right away there was no no struggle <laughs> and it was the 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 music was uh, flowing magically it was a magic night and a lot of happened since then <laughs> the, the 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 you know i haven't seen michael for for what's it a couple of years so it's yeah. good to see you in person again um, but uh, tell us what happened. Have you have you changed? Oh, uh, sig- I think I have uh, significantly. That was so, man. I guess. Well, this all kind of relates. You asked me if I had a mentor growing up, right? Yeah. And I didn't. It was like. Trust me, this is going to tie back to your question. Um, like, I didn't. I, it, the 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 life of a professional like jazz musician if you want to call it just seems so foreign to me i didn't know how how to do it right so i didn't know that i had to like find a scene or find a mentor someone who could like guide me and how i could learn from on a, on a real close and like and force a and forge a relationship i was like listening to records you know by myself and then you get to it with some friends so i thought there were certain ways of doing things Right, yeah. I thought I had to. So I would look. I remember looking at like Dave Douglas, right? And at the time I'm in Argentina, I'm in my early twenties or late teens or whatever it was. And he's he's such a for like just a he's almost, he might as well be an alien, you know. And I kind of saw how his career worked, and it was or people like him where it's like, <clears throat> you know, you're supposed to learn the basics of jazz and like the two five ones and then once you master all that shit then you can then you're allowed to do other things and not that that's what dave douglas did or ever i ever heard him say i'm just saying that's kind of like how i perceive things mm. and it wasn't so for the longest time i i got i remember always i was i had like i had an ornith coleman record i, I knew what which one <laughs> free jazz today but can i say something we just finished a session a duo session yeah and uh I have to say that halfway through, I heard Ornette. Ornette hey. showed up in the room. So at, uh, I, I was going to ask you about this, actually, because Ornette is uh, it's important for all of us. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I felt it, man. I felt Ornette in the room. So I'm curious which, uh, which period yeah. Ornette, uh, like your, you know. So that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I, 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 was, I still am in man. It was like weird. Like I thought, like, this is really cool. And there's, like, I really... But no, I gotta wait until I figure this other shit out first before I really start getting deep into this. Mm. And I struggled, man. I struggled for a long time and and finding my own voice and figuring out, being comfortable with myself as a trumpet player and as a musician. And for the longest time, I tried to do something that I think it's. I think there's value in trying and learning things. But man, you gotta be true to yourself. Mm. And it wasn't until really linking up with Matthew, Matthew okay. Putman, that. I who's who's Matthew Putman? Tell us. Uh, Matthew Putman is a very very great person. He's well, I met him um, maybe 2016, 2017. Not okay. not too long before we met. Okay. 
but he, we lived down the street from each other, and me, we met at our local bar. Okay. And you know we, um, I think I was on the way to a gig, um, so he's you know, and I stopped by for a shot before going to the gig, and he saw the trumpet, and then the bartender who was our friend Justin, mutual friend, he kind of talked to Matthew about about me. Matthew says he heard my he had heard about my music or had heard my I don't know if that's true, but I'm flattered. And anyway, we started kind of building a relationship and a friendship and. And as you know, Matthew is really, really deeply involved with free jazz and avant-garde and, and, you know, free improvisation. So I just started to kind of accept, accept this world, you know, and like kind of <laughs> accept know. the fact that I, I'm, I, I, I can listen to this music. And, <laughs> and funny. so it was almost like, you know, it, Matthew, Matthew probably played a great part, I feel like, in, in this it's contagious. This stuff is yeah, contagious. Man. You got contaminated by. So it. yeah, and that was one of the, <laughs> the first gigs I did. Um, like, um, I, I don't know if it was, I would say formal gig, but that was like first time, one of the first times that I I can remember that I was like, all right, <clears throat> this is free. This whatever avant garde. This is free jazz, and you're gonna go do it in front of people mm-hmm. as opposed to like whatever it's the end of the end of the uh, two-hour block at the rehearsal space and we can just not rehearse the tunes i remember just being very very nervous at first because you know it's like it's you guys daniel carter you guys had a string section it was pioneer it was like a very beautiful it's setting. true it's true but for it, that for that for that specific gig we had strings yeah but it was Fantastic. kind of if like for someone like me who didn't really know or was kind of new to this whole thing or new to accepting the possibility of it it, uh, it was kind of intimidating in my mind. You guys were all warm and welcoming, and Daniel couldn't have been more more generous, really. Like, even after we played, we, we talked a bit, and that was super special. So it was um, it was the most incredible welcome to like the avant-garde I could have, I could have hoped for. This is uh, Michael is talking about Daniel Carter. If you guys don't know about Daniel Carter, look him up because. I consider Daniel my second father, so I would definitely recommend to all the new listeners, uh, old listeners, anybody that doesn't know Daniel Carter, impossible to define, hmm. impossible to put in a box, and that's the way it should be. Uh, Daniel is uh, a force, a real force, and, uh, you know... Um, it's nice the fact that often his his name comes up because Daniel Carter is very relevant. Mm-hmm. So check out Daniel Carter. That's <laughs> yeah, man. And yeah, after that it was well not after that, but <clears throat> I my my whole world just kind of started opening up again. And you know Matthew is a champion of 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 Daniels of so many other people and five seven seven. Mm. records so and thank man, you thank you michael <laughs> man no seriously like, your catalog is incredible i i just like i'm gonna just spend so much time getting lost in in, in your in in your catalog and it's not just <clears throat> there's so many people there's so many willing incredible people that i discovered man like william parker obviously daniel severe mateen man the list is endless and like of course i knew i had to, like i knew i had to like revisit ornette and Don Cherry and like people like Lester Bowie and other trumpet players like you know Wadadaleo Smith, um, 
built Vixen, I, I knew there was like a handful of cats and especially trumpet players that I had to like really spend some time with. But then just checking out 577, there's like a, a wealth of, of just names and recordings and people that are really worth worth anyone's while and time and, uh, and ears. Well, thank you, Michael. The, the 577, you know, like uh, it was born not far from here. Mm -hmm. We are a few blocks away from the original spot, 577 Fifth Avenue, where we used to host uh, regular shows on a Saturday afternoon. Danny Carter is one of the first few people that enthusiastically showed up to play with me and, and others, like Steve Dalachinsky was there. Um, yeah, and uh, so it's something that happened pretty organically over the years, certainly we didn't have this plan of making, you know, uh, reaching 200 recordings, so I, can't, I didn't even know how many records we've been putting mm. out through the years, but uh, I have to do my little plug-in now, <laughs> because uh, Michael is very much uh, part of the catalog. Um, his album with Matthew Patman is coming out soon, his second album, part two. A Lifeboat, um, part one is already available, part two is coming out soon. Um, both in CD, vinyl, and digital. Um, you should check it out. Um, what happened with that specific recording? How how did it come together? Well, at that point, I guess early 2020, <clears throat> we've been uh, with Matthew. We've been you know talking about. We had gone together to play a few times by then. Not too many times, but maybe two or three times. I think you you with you once as well. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm apart from the Pioneer Works uh, gig, and we were talking about a recording session. I don't I don't know if we had one in the in the books, but anyway, then the pandemic happened, <clears throat> and everything went out the window. And Matthew and I lived down the street from each other, mm. and once you know it started to warm up, I remember walking down the street, and you know people started to like, the world kind of started opening up a bit. And we, we ran we ran into each other and we, we started talking on right down the street like oh you know blah, blah blah it's so good to see you what are you up to and we were kind of lamenting this the fact that we we can never get together and play that as we were planning on and then we said well why don't you get together like this Sunday and he came over to my place I have like a shitty uh, keyboard or I had uh, it, it has since broken down. <laughs> But anyway, we played for like five minutes or ten minutes, and then we said like, "Oh, you know, this it, this is so great. It would have been great to actually record it." And then he said something like, "Well, why don't we record it? You know, because I had a home like a home setup." Uh, so we just started doing that every Sunday for the I think that whole summer for the next few months. We just get together in my apartment and uh, and play for whatever amount of time, listen to music, talk, play music, mm. and uh, we got out two, two short, like, EPs, right? Yeah. Those are the first one, and then, um, yeah, we just kind of decided to put out the whole thing, basically. I love, I love this project, and I love the recordings that came out of it, because it's the proof that improvised music can be nice. Yeah. You know, this this uh, stereotype of, of uh, screaming saxophones and, you know, like loud drums and electric guitars and that's uh, free jazz for you, but it doesn't have to be like that. I actually go back to a lifeboat often 
because it's something nice. I'm at home, I want to listen to some nice music. I, I want to listen to something that flows. Mm. I don't want to hear something boring. I want to hear something nice and fresh, but also, you know, pleasant. Man, that's the, that's the recording I will be playing. I'm putting my vinyl on and that's what I listen to. So congratulations Thank because you. you achieved, you covered a, a lot of ground because it's not just spontaneous what we talked about, about opening mm. up and being able to play, play, play uh, you know, show who you are, but also to actually make a recording that is very pleasant to listen to. Thank you, man. Yeah, it was. It was pleasant to make. It was. It was really like nothing was happening, and it was really our only chance to play music with someone else. Mm. <clears throat> so it was. It was such a special, special um, project, or just a special process that we went through so check it out the next volume is coming out soon in the spring mm. so stay tuned I have another question for for Michael Michael has been uh, in New York for 10 years so ten years. officially a New Yorker finally finally <laughs> officially a New Yorker that's what they say if you, if you if you survive in New York for 10 years you become a New Yorker what's New York to you man New York is just um, <clears throat> so many things it's um you know, endless opportunities. I think it's a for whoever approaches it correctly, it can be a a mirror. You know, for me, it was like I got here and I I realized it was a, it was a mirror. It was like oh, and that just pointed out all the not the bad things of of Michael, but like oh, these are all the things I need to work on. You know, it can if you approach it in the right way, it's just a the best self-help book you can possibly hope for you know th that's what they told me say you shouldn't worry about what you're gonna do in new york but you should worry about what the city is gonna do to you yeah, with you what do you think yeah 100 percent. and it's you have to be able to um to be open to it you know to like accept all the criticism with open arms and like hopefully you'll be like right this is what i need to work on and improve in order to stay here and survive oh how long it took me a long it took me a while for the first six months when i moved to new york i didn't play much music i listened most i went to from club to club trying to listen to these various musicians i met daniel carter but it took me a while how long did it take you to get started we you know playing music with people and you know find a, find a nice <coughs> place to live and how, how how long was this transition? Because Man, you was, you arrived. How old were you when you arrived? I was 27. Okay. Yeah, that was 28 when I arrived. So it was hard. Well, I came from grad school. I, I attended grad school, so that was already like that. Already gave me something to do. It already gave me a, a you know a pool of people that I could start working with and playing with. But you know, you get to New York, and and you discover like oh how just how good everyone else is mm. and how many pe good how many people there are that are really just really that good everywhere so, like like you 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 in the street you in the subway and this Jesus, amazing man. like amazing yeah, you, re you realize that the the level is yeah. off the hook and you feel i felt <clears throat> minuscule oh, i felt like, like you feel like oh man i'm moving to new york i'm gonna be this hard shell <laughs> i feel like and, shit man <laughs> i feel it it, it was and the fact that I was like at, at grad school, I was it kind of the expectation was in my mind. No, the expectation was that I was supposed to be on the same level as all the other all these other people, and I wasn't. I felt that I wasn't. So then, I just spent the next year and a half in a practice room, 
you know? Okay. Just, and then I discovered that, you know what, man? Like, no one's going to call me for gigs. So I had to just create my own gigs. Jeez. And um, I was like, I, that's where I really kind of just started. I, st- I started to compose again. I stopped composing mm. and just kind of cut my, cut my teeth as a band leader. Mm. You know, getting people together, playing music, uh, writing music, booking gigs. So it took me a few years, man, to like find my footing, really. So what's uh, what's next for you, Michael? What's the next step? Just keep doing what I'm doing. You know? <laughs> okay, <Or> that's better. <laughs> keep going. Look out for a live boat part two in the spring, and you're gonna hear a lot more from Michael Sarian because uh, it's uh, it's happening. The music is happening, and it's happening right now. And I invite all of you to celebrate the masters, but don't forget about people that are doing music right now today. So please check out Michael Sarian. Michael, thanks a lot for talking to me today. Thank you, Federico. It was a pleasure. This was my interview with Michael Sarian, trumpet player, composer, and improviser. And stay tuned because Michael has a new album coming out with Matthew Putman called A Lifeboat Volume 2, Part 2. So stay tuned, check it out, it's wonderful music. Thanks for listening.